Please turn in your Bibles to this morning's scripture, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. If you would like to follow along using a pew Bible, you can find the passage on page 688. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Before we study together, let's take a moment and ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for your word. We do thank you for this promise of your steadfast love, your mercy, and your faithfulness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand more, to love you more. And Father, as we study, would you do it? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are many great sights I've wanted to see in God's creation. One I've always wanted to see is Old Faithful. You know, that geyser that's incredibly regular. About every hour and a half, you can see an eruption of this hot springs, and it shoots steam well over 100 feet in the air. The geyser's so regular, in fact, that it's gotten the nickname of Eternity's Timepiece. One thing you'd expect from Eternity's Timepiece is that it would be incredibly steady and stable. But in my opinion, I don't think that's quite the case. See, back in the 1950s, the eruptions were a little less than an hour, instead of the about an hour and a half that they are now. And a recent study of Old Faithful and the surrounding landscape actually demonstrated that probably for a period of of several decades in the 12 and 1300s, that it was dormant, that it wasn't erupting at all. And so in my mind, we put all this together and you start to think, well, why in the world is it named Old Faithful? Because the very idea of being faithful, of being steady and steadfast, is consistency. You know how it goes. If you trust someone, if you really come to rely on someone, they seem faithful and consistent and and steadfast, but then one time. That's all it takes, isn't it? Just one time where they're not faithful, where they let you down. One time when you need them and they're not there. That's all it takes, isn't it? For doubt to creep in, mistrust to enter in. That's all it takes for faithfulness and steadfastness to be destroyed, isn't it? So when we read in Scripture that it tells us that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. Well, we've all been let down before, haven't we? So sometimes we struggle with this. We don't understand what it means that the Lord truly is full of steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness. We don't understand just how truly steadfast he is. But I think that's where the context of Lamentations is so important for us to understand. 
Here, in our passage, Jeremiah is providing an eyewitness account of the destruction of Jerusalem. The first two chapters in this book are poetically beautiful accounts of the destruction of the city. The city of Jerusalem, that city where the temple resides, the place where all of Israel could look and see the physical representation of the Lord's presence among them. And now it's being laid to waste. And to get to this point in history has been centuries in the making. And it's been a testament to the Lord's faithfulness and his patience as well. This account likely takes place in the mid-500s B.C. And this destruction came really as a promise that the Lord made to the people of Israel if they were disobedient to God, if they broke his covenant. And so after a cycle of, of centuries of disobedience and faithlessness, the Lord sends Babylon, sends another foreign power, to bring his judgment, to bring his discipline on Israel. The Lord finally does what he said he would do by bringing an instrument of his wrath upon them. Listen to these words Uh, from several places in scripture, of just how much of a plan this has been. God has been telling his people the whole time what would happen if they were disobedient. This is from Jeremiah's book of prophecy. This is chapter 11. Again, the Lord said to me, a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods and served them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they make offerings, but they cannot save them in their time of trouble. To hear the promise that the Lord is making. Or perhaps as Jeremiah is witnessing uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, he has the words that the Lord speaks to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Before the people ever enter the promised land, this is what the Lord says. As Moses is about to die, the Lord says, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and go after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. They will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they've done, because they have turned to other gods. It's a hard promise to hear. Before they even get into the promised land, the Lord makes a promise that if this happens, here's what's going to happen. But even in this judgment that the Lord's pronouncing, this destruction of God's chosen nation and city, we see that it was his plan. What's the reason for all of this? Why this destruction? Why the destruction of the temple and the city? Well, it's because the people of God have sinned. They have broken the covenant with God. They have not been in relationship with them as they should. They've turned to idols. They've worshipped false gods. And even then, at that point, 
the Lord decides to be patient with them. He holds back for a while. By the time we get to Lamentations, this is certainly not the first time that the people of Israel have turned and worshipped other gods. This has been going on for a long, long time. The people as a whole, their hearts have turned away from the Lord. Now, of course, there were people like Jeremiah and Daniel who still loved and served the Lord. But there have been evil kings and evil priests, and for the most part, the entire nation has gone astray from the Lord. But because the Lord loves his people, this is important, because the Lord loves his people, he sends another nation to purify them so that he can call them back to faithfulness. And this is the idea that surrounds our passage, that even in the destruction, even in the judgment and the wrath, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Even when evil is around us, his mercies are new. Great is his faithfulness. So as the prophet sees the destruction going on around him, he calls to mind this truth. He remembers this wonderful encouragement, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So I want to begin just by looking at his steadfast love, taking just piece by piece as we go through our text this morning. And so his steadfast love, just let's pause there, just two words, steadfast love. Is this topic, this characteristic of God is an ocean. It's so vast. The Hebrew word here is hesed, and it's used so much throughout the scripture. It, it, we see it so often that the Lord is full of loving kindness. You might see it translated that way, loving kindness. It's so prevalent all over the scriptures that it has to be one of the fundamental things we know about God. In fact, the first time that we get God's full description of himself, where he really tells his people who he is, he's speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. This is what he says. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This almost becomes a refrain for the people of Israel. Throughout the rest of their history, they come back again and again and again to this truth that the Lord is full and abounding in steadfast love. In promising a son to David, the Lord tells him that my steadfast love will not depart from him. So David comes back to the steadfast love of the Lord. Even when his life is in danger in Psalm 6, David cries out and he's in peril. He begs for the Lord to deliver his life according to God's steadfast love. That's his plea. Job acknowledges that the only reason that he has been sustained through all of the troubles and all of the uh, problems that Job has faced is because of the Lord's steadfast love. Psalm 89 says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Proverbs 16, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. In Isaiah, the Lord promises, for though the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. Do you hear how fundamental this is to who God is? He is full of steadfast love. Don't mistake me. 
though. He is not only love, he is at the same time justice and mercy and wrath and all of his other attributes. He isn't sometimes loving and sometimes just, he's both at the same time. And this is one of those great mysteries that we can't comprehend about God. How could he be both loving and just at the same time? It's a mystery. We can only leave it with he's God, right? But God is steadfast love. We can't really comprehend that on its own, can we? We can't comprehend how wonderful it is that he is full of steadfast love. Because we come back to our doubts a little bit, don't we? We've never known someone to be completely, without ever failing, perfectly steadfast. And we know ourselves. We know our own shortcomings. And even if you feel like you've never let someone down, if you can honestly say that you've done this, then maybe you've been steadfast and shown steadfast love the way that the Lord is. Maybe if you've done everything perfectly without grumbling, without complaining, with perfect motives, with perfect execution, following a perfect plan so that the means as well as the ends are perfect, maybe then you've been steadfast. But that's what the Lord does. That is how steadfast the Lord is. How can this be true about him? How can we look at the world around us and see God's perfect plan? Because in our own doubts, we want sometimes, in our own sin, in our own flesh, we want to blame God for some of the problems around us, don't we? He gave us creation, but there are natural disasters. He gave us people and friends and family and spouses to be in relationships with, but they're broken relationships. He gave us good gifts, but we look at one another and desire their gifts more than we desire relationship with the creator. So what's the root of all of this? Why can't we be steadfast to the way that the Lord is? Well, it's because of sin. We people who were made of the dirt of the ground, we sinned, rebelled against a holy and perfect God, and so creation was infected by our sin. He gave us relationship, and we chose brokenness. He gave us a relationship and we chose brokenness. He gave us a garden and we chose weeds. He gave us all of creation to enjoy and we chose to rebel against him. We were made from the dust of the earth and chose not to trust his steadfast love. We chose not to trust the almighty king of creation of all time. In his love he gave to us a creation to rule over as his viceroys, We chose slavery instead. God gave us good gifts, but sin is what broke them. It's not the Lord. It's our rebellion against the steadfast love of God that's the problem. But still, even in the face of our rebellion, the Lord remembers his promises to us. He he remembers that he promised steadfast love He made a covenant, he made a vow, he promised a son, and he keeps his promises. So just as Israel would look around, and as Jeremiah is looking around, would see the destruction of the city, 
They should look back and remember the steadfast love of God as they look forward to his promises. So look back. Look back and remember that even the calamity was part of the plan. See, the Lord promised that our sin, our faithlessness, would lead to destruction. He promised all this. He's known of our sin from the, from the very beginning. He promised there'd be wars and famine as a result of our sin, but still he promised the prince of peace and the bread of life. He promised there would be exile, and yet Christ still says to us that he's going to prepare a place for us. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, Christ says, for I have overcome the world. It's the promise of steadfast love, summed up by Samwise Gamgee when he asked if everything sad was going to come untrue. And it is. Everything once broken will be put right. There will be a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more sin and no more death. And that is steadfast love. That the Lord would bring us to that place. That he's working even right now to bring us into close relationship with him. That's steadfast love. How do we keep this in mind? How do we remember day in, day out, knowing deep in our souls that steadfast love of the Lord never ends? This comes from faith, of course, that gift God gives to his people. But remember what the Lord's done for you. Remember, as as John Newton wrote in Amazing Grace that we sang earlier, how he, even a slave owner, a slave trader, how he could be saved The words say, grace that brought him safe thus far, and grace will lead him home. Look back over your life and see how the Lord's been gracious to you. Maybe it's an answered prayer. Perhaps it was answered in a way you didn't expect. Maybe it's a friend that gives you a kind word or a hug when you didn't even realize how bad you needed it. It's looking back at a a terrible situation, seeing how the Lord worked through it. Whatever it is in your life that you have to look back at, look and see. Look and see how the Lord has continually been faithful and loving and merciful to you. The Lord calls Israel to do this constantly. He calls them to remember what he's done all throughout the scriptures. This is what he says in Isaiah chapter 63. And he tells Israel to do this. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted to them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. So what do we do when affliction and calamity strike? Turn back and remember the steadfast love of the Lord. Why did Israel do this? Because they they recognized God's presence even in his discipline. They recognized God's faithfulness to his promises for the results of their sin. They look back and remember because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's the one hope, the hope in the midst of all of our problems that our own sin has created. 
Our hope is in the steadfast love of the Lord. It's not just that the Lord is full and abounding in steadfast love, but his steadfast love never ends. How can this be, that it never ends? And again, back to our doubts, how can love abound the way that we read that it does? Because when we think of love, if we're honest, we really have no concept of what unconditional love is. How can there truly be no conditions, no reasons for love to falter, no reasons for love to waver? Because even the best, most impeccable human love is love between two sinners. Only God is perfect and holy and completely deserving of all the glory. And at the same time, he loves his people out of his glory, out of his generosity and mercy and grace and kindness. He loves us all out of all of those things without sacrificing his own glory. In fact, Christ's sacrifice was the most glorious thing that's ever happened on earth. The most loving act for God's people was at the same time his most glorious Christ dying on the cross for the sins of his people to atone for them, give us a right standing before God. What a glorious thing. What a loving thing that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our sin doesn't change God's love. And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Your sin doesn't change God's love for you. Does sin have consequences? Absolutely. We see that even a patient, loving God does punish sin. That's what's happening in our text here in Lamentations. Does your being a sinner change God in some way? Not in the slightest. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. There's nothing here in this text or in all of Scripture that indicates God changes based on our sin. Listen to these words from Romans 8. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sin doesn't change God. But what... What did our first parents do when they sinned? They ran and hid from God, didn't they? And we do the same. When we sin, how often do we want to run and hide? So we avoid prayer. We avoid reading the Bible. We avoid being around other Christians because we, we think our sin is so present before us. We think it's written on our foreheads for everyone to see. So we feel this shame and we want to hide. But where do we need to be when we sin? We need to be in prayer, confessing to the Lord who promises that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. We need to be in the scriptures, reading about the faithful, loving, holy, good, righteous God who through Christ Jesus gives us his righteousness. We need to be with other believers who can give us wise counsel and encouragement We need to be with the Lord. Because nothing about our sin changes God. But sin makes us forget that, doesn't it? Sin turns us inward, turns us away from the Lord. Sin makes us hide, just like Adam and Eve did. But the steadfast love of the Lord 
never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So while we're here, while we're still on this earth, while we're still sinners, before we go to eternal life with him, God's forgiveness of our sins doesn't stop. We can't sin so much that his forgiveness dries up. Because even in Lamentations, though the city is being destroyed, God's promised restoration. That's the whole trajectory of scripture. We see God create something good. And then we sin and we're put out of the garden and then he restores us. We see that pattern over and over and over. God creates the world, he creates a garden, he puts Adam and Eve, they sin, he puts them out of the garden, but then he promises restoration. And so when we get to Revelation, we see the tree of life, that tree that was also there in the garden at the very beginning. We see the tree of life in Revelation. The whole trajectory is leading us back to God because of his steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's what's happening with Israel too. They have sinned. God is following through on his promise, his plan to put them out of the garden, but to bring them back eventually. His mercies never come to an end. There's a pattern we see to it in scripture. His forgiveness doesn't stop. And what Christ did on the cross to get us there is completely effective. For all of God's people, Christ's atoning work of salvation was totally and completely effective. The work of Jesus' death doesn't stop if we sin too much. The mercy we receive through Christ is new every day. It's new to us every day and perhaps even at the start of every new year too. This is who God is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. One of the things I think these two verses do is is to challenge our picture of God. They call us to understand more of who he is. So far this morning, we've recalled our our doubts some and how we tend to think of, of love and steadfastness and faithfulness. But God is not like us. Sometimes through his grace and his gifts and his goodness to us, sometimes we're a little bit like him. But it's not the other way around. God shows us and tells us who he is in the scriptures. So know them through the scriptures. One of the things it speaks to here in this verse is his eternal nature, doesn't it? Steadfast love never ends. His mercies are new every morning. It speaks to his eternal nature. And we have to think of him in this way as he's revealed himself in this eternal nature It also speaks to his unchangeability, doesn't it? Those two aspects of God go hand in hand. His eternity and his unchangeability. Because if he were a God who changed, how could he truly be steadfastly loving and merciful and faithful in the deepest ways? He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow and forever. The Lord does not change. If he doesn't change and he's full of steadfast love and mercy, then truly great is his faithfulness. This faithfulness, it goes hand in hand with steadfast love. Many places in scripture, we see them right next to each other because you can't separate them. If you're steadfastly loving 
a promise-keeping God, then certainly you will be faithful to do all of that. It might not feel that way. It certainly doesn't feel that way for Jeremiah and the people of Jerusalem as their city is being destroyed. That destruction, that's God's discipline on his people. But the Lord disciplines those he loves. Discipline's never pleasant, isn't it? And here's what we have to understand that steadfast love and faithfulness are. If, if love, as our culture currently wants to define it, if love is total acceptance of someone as they are, total acceptance with no negative judgment, no reason to say that you're wrong about something, that can't surely be what love is. Because people are changing all the time. No, love is a deep dedication, a chosen commitment And in that commitment, it's a commitment to wanting what's best for the other person. So when we see that the Lord is following through on his promise to punish sin, he's being faithful. He's being faithful to do exactly what he said he would do. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And what are the goals of discipline? You all know this. The goals of discipline are to bring someone back into fellowship. Back into relationship with God. That's why the Lord disciplines. Because what is the best thing for every person? It's to be in relationship with God. And that's the most loving thing that could ever happen. Is that the Lord would go to extreme lengths to do what's good for his people. We discipline children because we want what's good for them. That's what God does for his children too. But lest we forget how serious sin is, sin is not something that's so light and we can forget about it. No, sometimes sin requires the destruction of a city. Sometimes it requires a flood. But every sin requires a perfect sacrifice to atone for it. And so in no other place do we see God's love and faithfulness more clearly than Christ on the cross. The destruction, the death that our sin deserves is poured out on Christ because that's been the promise all along, hasn't it? That sin would be punished, that a son would have his heel bruised as he crushes the serpent, that God's steadfast love would win out in the end, that he would be faithful to fulfill all his promises. But Jesus on the cross, the wrath, the discipline, the punishment for sin was poured out on him, and how much more loving could that be? How much more merciful to us could that be? That action was so loving and just, as God is both loving and just, because that's who he is. And so we have to stop thinking of God in in these human-limited terms. He's, He's not like us because we falter and we sin. We can't be perfectly loving and faithful, but he can. And he did that through Christ. Every single thing that God has promised has come true in Christ. All his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And only a big God full of steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness could do that. So what do we need to do with all of this? How do we put all this together? Well, first, hold on to the Lord. Don't run from him or hide from him when you sin. Don't run or hide from him when calamity strikes. And everything, cling to him more. Because the Lord 
is full of steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness. Read about him in the scriptures. That's how we can get to know him more. Pray to him. Pray to that big God with a big plan who's faithful to fulfill the plan that he has for you. And look back over your life. Look back over the ways that he's been faithful to you and see his steadfast love. And if you don't perhaps have something that comes to mind straight away, look back at the last year in the church for St. Andrews. We've certainly had our ups and downs, haven't we? And as we look forward to a new year of ministry together, I can't help but be excited. It's been so evident that the Lord has been working here. Through all of it, God has shown his steadfast love and his mercy and his faithfulness to us. So I don't know whether you're looking forward to 2023 or not. I don't know everything the Lord has in store for you. But look at what the Lord has done. Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how humbling is this truth about you. Father, we are so grateful for who you are. We're grateful that your promises are fulfilled in Christ. We're grateful for your love and your mercy and your faithfulness. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Help us to remember that as we go forward. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.